Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. What's up, friends? Welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to another edition of the MyFit Podcast. This week, I'm throwing things back to one of my most popular episodes episode 71 with none other than Dr. Kelly Starrett. If you're in the fitness industry, you know who Dr. Kelly Starrett is, or if you don't, you need to go start researching this man right now. But for those of you that don't, Dr. Kelly Starrett is a man of many hats, including coach, speaker, author, physical therapist, former 10-year gym owner, and CEO of The Ready State. Kelly is an icon in the sport of CrossFit, and his mission is to give people the knowledge to relieve pain, prevent injury, and improve physical performance. Starrett has worked with athletes and Olympians in every sport you can possibly imagine. Most of you probably recognize Kelly from his garage videos where he pioneered the idea of using bands, lacrosse balls, and basic home items to improve range of motion and help eliminate pain. Kelly is a wealth of knowledge. And I remember when he got back to me and said that he would be on the show. And this was pretty early on, fairly early on in my podcasting career. And I was so excited and honored to have him on the MyFit podcast. Some of the topics that we talked about were how we need to view pain. Next was what to do when you get injured. I think a lot of people still don't really know what it is that they should do right when they feel a nick of pain, especially if they're um, in a competitive sport. Uh, what are some of the things that you need to do right away when you feel an injury occur? After that, we talked about what are the movements that are most important for aging athletes. Then we talked about mastering the basics before moving to complexity let me close down by talking about what were Dr. Kelly Starrett's biggest takeaways from COVID-19, which was a huge impact on him and his business. If you guys want, you can find more from Dr. Kelly Starrett on Instagram at The Ready State, also on Facebook at The Ready State, and then his most famous book, The Supple Leopard, which if you are a coach or a trainer, gym owner, that book definitely needs to be in your office. Hope you guys enjoyed this throwback episode with Dr. Kelly Starrett. Also, if you're looking to get new fitness workout apparel, make sure to check out Legends. They have some really great new clothes coming out. I love the shorts. I usually ride with the seven inch Luca HDs. Uh, you definitely uh, will not be let down if you go and get a pair of those shorts. If you're looking for a discount code, make sure to use the discount code MYFIT215 to save yourself 15% off. That's M-I-F-I-T-215, 15% off at Legends. Hope you guys enjoy this throwback episode with Dr. Kelly Starrett. Let's get to it. 
Let's go. And it's with my pleasure to bring Dr. Kelly Starrett to the My Fit Podcast. I've been following Dr. Kelly Starrett for almost a decade now. I remember when I first got into the industry, watching his videos uh, from the iPhone in the garage and uh, kind of watching his business transform um, and being able to teach me so many things along the way. And it's just an honor to be able to sit across screen to screen today and have you on the show. So Dr. Kelly Starrett, welcome to the MyFit Podcast. Well, thank you, first of all. Second, let me apologize for all those crappy iPhone videos. <laughs> you know, the earliest videos, people don't even realize the iPhone didn't even have a video camera. That's how old we've been right. making videos for YouTube, right? And, uh, and third, man, I mean, this welcome to the New World Order, right, where we get to see our, our, our coach heroes friends uh, cabal, and it's all via screen. But we, we will be queuing people with tactile you know, tactile cues again. We will be touching people before too long. I hang because we got to. Yep, absolutely. And you kind of pioneered the world of, uh, you know, the digital world and being able to treat yourself and use YouTube. And I remember being in college and studying uh, for exercise fizz and these types of things and using your videos. And I felt like, man, I learned more from your three minute videos on how to open up your hips more <laughs> than I did in the classroom, you know? Well, <laughs> You know, I had the, we had the distinct advantage of having people who were obsessed, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you were obsessed the way I was obsessed, then I was speaking your language. Mm-hmm. And that context, context-based meaning is really the game. Mm-hmm. Like one of the, th- the things that we've always kind of had this really good physiology, really good understanding of, of human function, but it's never attached to like actual biomotor output. How do you take all of that exercise fizz and actually translate it into going to exercise? Because if you, I had lots of exercise fizz and none of it ever told me what my feet should be doing or what I should be feeling or how to breathe between sets or, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, anything about that. What are the principles? So it, it really is, I think one of the, we had a really unique time where we could talk to people who are as obsessed as I was obsessed and in a time where the paradigm was shifting, where like who's responsible for what? Mm-hmm. Boy, and is that is that you know more pre- uh, you know relevant today than ever before? Mm-hmm. Who is responsible? And we have a chance to change everything again. We can't fuck this up. Yeah, I agree. And I have a lot of things I want to get into today, Kelly. I have so many things to pick your brain on. But first, I want, I'm, I'm curious, your, your business kind of revolves around the idea of pain, getting out of pain. And I'm curious if, if you've ever been asked, how, how do you respond to somebody saying, how do you view pain when you hear pain or that word? Uh, what, what comes to your mind first, Kelly? Well, let me, let me uh, just correct you for a second. What we've always been obsessed with is output, mm. right? And that was actually the reason we cared. And the reason I could say, hey, look, get into this position. Let's restore your position is that we saw up regulation in function. Well, it turns out pain is really no different than loss of range of motion. Mm. Pain is no different than and having uh, numbness and tingling or swelling. It's just more information about what's going on. And, um, you know, it's, it's information that your body is giving to you. And it can be a lot of ways. So let, let's let's spin this back for a second. So and I don't think I've ever talked about it in this way, but this is this will make sense to you. If you are sucking on the assault bike and the deadlifts today, and you're like, well, super stressed at work. I ate like crap yesterday, a little hungover, right? You get this immediate feedback mm-hmm. through your output that something's up, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I went through a divorce. My dog died, lost my job. 
Um, you know, I'm highly inflamed. I have this old root canal in my, I mean, check the boxes that will impact your physiology. Pain, if you have pain from, and we know that the things I just listed can be drivers or sensitizers of pain that can lower your brain's ability or make you more sensitive to inputs that otherwise you would just tamp down. Like your Mm. brain, it just starts being twitchy. So when we think in those terms, suddenly what we have to dress differently is, hey, who owns pain? Does pain mean injury? And what are the tools to get out of pain? Because the pain is, is there to remind us that, hey, you, you need to change something. You need to pay attention to this, right? Mm-hmm. And if, what I'll ask you is, man, if you've if you ever been to a middle school or, or a high school and you, you stand in front of 300 kids, you're like, how many of you are pain-free? Yeah. Two hands go up right. and you're like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> I don't understand. Like, you kids are screwed yeah. if you're already having pain. And all the adults' heads snap around in disbelief. And so the key here is that certainly pain is a normal state and a normal normal aspect of being human the same way being hungry is normal or being thirsty having pain is just information it's information that can ruin your life it's information that can you know make you not want to have sex it's information that can totally disable you i get it right i mean that's it's real but when we start to view it through that lens as not to be feared as information to be managed and then we actually empower people to understand first and foremost that pain does not mean injury Mm. that you can have you know you can have injury and no pain we've seen that a lot right Right. um you know and more importantly that when we actually give people a set of tools besides ibuprofen and alcohol and ambien and thc right and vicodin and we actually were like hey here's how you can desensitize you know decongest reperfuse manage your pain and by the way it's the same set of tools, the same set of conversations we've been having as a strength and conditioning community for as long as we've been there. Why? Because we knew that sleeping more than eight hours, eating whole foods, feeling loved and supported on a team, all of those things begat better biomotor function, output, mm-hmm. wattage, poundage, volume. Those are the things. So it turns out that I think the strength and conditioning coach, the trainer, especially when something is non, you know, critical, like if someone has an injury, we define that as, um, you can no longer occupy your role in society. Right. Can't be a dad, can't be a mom, can't mm-hmm. be a brother, can't do your job, can't do your role in team because that's an injury or you have a bone sticking out of your leg or you have rabies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. clear, yeah. right? Night sweats, dizziness, fever, vomiting, sure. nausea, loss of consciousness, dude, go to the hospital, right? Everything else, Let's, let's start to say, well, what can we control here? What, what can we improve here? And what we've done is we've completely taken generations of people and assigned pain to a medical state. That if, you need, if you have pain, that's a medical problem. And I'm here to say horse shit. Mm. If you have pain, we are the people who are going to help manage that. And we're the best because I have more contact with you as a coach or as a trainer than anyone else does. Right. You know, and if your physical therapist happens to be in your class with you, bully, she's going to be able to help you manage this. Mm-hmm. But we need to rethink the whole thing. And if we take a step back from the whole picture and just ask, well, are we seeing less chronic pain or more chronic pain? Are we seeing fewer injuries or more injuries? Like how is it going assigning all of this to the medical profession? Right. right? Are we more diabetic? Are we, are we less obese? Like, just choose something that you give a shit about 
And what you'll see is, hey, our model's not serving people well. So I have a radical idea. Let's not keep doing what's not working. And let's look at who owns what and re-empowering people, giving people the tools to lead better lives in their home by themselves. And then when they run out of slack, then they go get some help. Mm-hmm. That is what we were supposed to do in the first place. Mm, amen. That's, and I want to take it a little bit, a step further, Kelly, because you're, you're in the, in the CrossFit world and you're coaching classes just like I am. And I'm curious, what, what's your advice to, to somebody who uh, just taking it a step further, let's say they're at the gym and they're, I don't know, maybe they're deadlifting and they feel a little bit of a tweak or they're doing something they, and they feel something just isn't right. And what, what is your advice to them right away? Should they be, you know, do they touch it? Do they feel it? What are some things that you should be doing right after you feel a tweak when you're, when you're in the gym thinking about all the things that you just said before this? Well, obviously you've just herniated a disc and your penis <laughs> is about to go numb, right? So now's the time to put on a belt and make it go heavier, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you're about to get lapped by the girl next to you. <laughs> so suck it up. Look, what I want everyone to appreciate is that if you view the gym, I've always been saying, hey, let's view the gym as a lab. So let me elaborate on that. Sure. Let's view the training session as a diagnostic tool. And our hypothesis is that you will be able to express these movement and positions with competency under this rep and this load, right? And my goal is to, to understand what's happening, my own body, but also a coach to understand what's happening under those under, under that set of conditions. So when we go in and think it's always about physiology, I'm always exercising so that I have more muscle growth and better, you know, second and third wave adaptation for my physiology so that these energy systems are more efficient. Mm-hmm. And you're stripping out coordination, we're stripping out tissue tolerance, we're stripping out mechanotransduction and exposure, we're stripping out being part of a tribe or, you know, we're just, we're missing the forest for the trees. We don't just deadlift Mm -hmm. so that we have better deadlifts and more deadlifts so we can deadlift. It's not just some recursive exercise. This is a fundamental position that you, we want you to maintain, figure out how to be stiff, how to brace, how to organize, how to hip hinge, keep your foot pressure so that it's practice for the shit you care about in your real life. But also we know that if you consistently load these tissues, load these discs, load the, you have a bomb-proof human being that can do some rad, rad stuff for a long time, right? You have a human being who's not afraid to pick up a cooler, won't get tweaked. So when you are running through the diagnostic and something doesn't feel right, that's the point. And the, the, let's say that per our, our earlier conversation that the diagnostic, hey, something doesn't feel right, uh, something a little stiff or mm-hmm. I'm not set up right or right. it doesn't feel good in my low back because it happens. That's no different than you sucking today on the deadlifts, right? Mm-hmm. Like what happened today? I don't know. I went in for my PR, but I couldn't do it. Well, let's look at and ask what's going on. So hip flexion, right? Having normal hip flexion is the same for me as did you sleep eight hours last night and did you adequately get yourself prepped and did you take big jumps? Like, dude, wh- why did we strip that positional competence out of this greater conversation? Mm. So the first thing is, if you feel a little tweak or something's going on, don't panic. You're not injured. Stop sure. that. Yep. Like, you are, you are a badass, anti-fragile human being, right? Yep. And don't catastrophize. Don't get me wrong. If you are deadlifting super heavy, you feel yourself losing position, and you're like, fuck it. Let's do this. Let's mm-hmm. grind through this, right? And then you feel a pop. 
and then your your legs go numb, mm-hmm. there are other things at stake here, right? Like you're like, okay, that's really weird. But that would be the same as like, you know, hey, I'm just gonna slam, I'm front squat, I'm gonna slam my knees together and hope my ligaments, like my seat belts hold it. No one does this, right? right? Right. And what's really interesting, I'll say is that, you know, when we put parameters in, hey, when you lose this feeling, I want you to stop because you've exceeded your abilities. Mm-hmm. Because what I know from my experience working with every branch of the the military, every professional sport you can think of, there's no off button in human beings. Mm-hmm. If I say to you, I need you to get this amount of work done this time, you're like, all right, it's gonna let's stop, go. but I let's got go. it. Right? Like <laughs> that's what human beings do. Yeah. So let's take out the intensity piece. I think 15 years ago when I started CrossFit, you know, we sort of thought what we knew intensity was, you know, mm-hmm. 16 years ago, we've owned the gym now for 15 years. We've had a, plus our backyard was 16 years. So I've been doing CrossFit for a minute yeah. and, um, you know, there was a minute where I did, you know, five, you know, pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 squats, and I would almost die, right? I get 12 rounds of that beast, 12 <laughs> rounds and 20 minutes. And I laid on the ground dying a slow death, right? Yeah. The first time I did Helen, I did it on a Bursa climber. And, uh, and what, you swung a dumbbell and thought I was going to die. Right. So, but that is not the case anymore, right? I mean, my 11-year-old, for her intervals the other day, we're doing sprint intervals on the assault bike. She's 11. And basically, it's peak wattage and mm-hmm. then practice your position with a slam ball, right? Classics, old stuff. Mm-hmm. That was the buy-in back with her friend. She's putting out 600 watts, Whoa. you know, for, for 15 seconds, 20 hey. seconds. You know, and I'm like, okay, you're 11. Like, that's no joke. That's cool. And she was like, her, she was like, her legs were frying out. And her buddy down the street was like, I feel sick. You know, he's another 11-year-old. And I'm like, wow, if these kids are being exposed to this kind of training early, then the intensity conversation isn't there anymore. So mm-hmm. now suddenly... It, we have reached a, a transition in our communities where people are working very hard. Go to Soul Cycle. Let me know mm-hmm. how you do. Yep. Go to a tough yoga class. Like, like it doesn't matter. Barry's Bootcamp. You're gonna get. You're gonna get served. I yeah. mean, in fact, the bigger engine you have now, yeah, the more potential you can put yourself into the hole. So if <laughs> right. you go to like a, you know, Barry's Bootcamp, mm-hmm. and you and I give you some ten pound weights, dude, you're gonna do two thousand reps, and you're gonna be messed up tomorrow, right? Because you. You could just do more work in that time. We used to be limited by the fact that we weren't very strong and we weren't very conditioned. That ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. So now what we want to be thinking about, if we come back to the deadlift idea is, hey, here's what I want you to be thinking. And I need you to be able to not have to be coached in a shitty position. Mm-hmm. I want you to feel when your position breaks down, when your mechanics break down, when you can't feel anymore. That may be when we're doing planks and you can no longer take a full breath. That may mean when we're doing pull-ups and all of a sudden your eccentric loading goes to crap and your elbow flares and you're dropping. Down. Dude, you, we've exceeded your stimulus. Right. Again, let me appreciate that as a human being, you can go on and on and on and you'll see it with Murph here coming up, right? Mm-hmm. And the goal is to get Murph done, not to like, grease Murph or have a technically perfect Murph. The Mm -hmm. the idea is to put a big challenge in and then see how you do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if what we see then is it's easy for us to appreciate that if we lose position, something happens again, you're not injured. So let's, let's follow a couple rules. If something's not moving, let's get it moving. Something's not in the right place. Let's get it in the right place. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not talking about voodoo, you know, this is like, man, your quads are stiff or you need to go do some breathing or get into your QL for a second. You just overdid it. 
Remember mm-hmm. when you went for a run down that hill and your quads were super blown out? Were you mm-hmm. injured? No. But you but but that was way worse pain than your little, you know, low back discomfort deadlifting. Right. But if I say to you keep grinding, you know, then you're gonna you're gonna get your nervous system involved and your brain's gonna be like, hmm. All right, not paying attention. I'll make you pay attention, right? And, and I think it comes back to too, like remembering why we're here. And I think sometimes o- over the years, I'm sure you've seen it. Over the years, we've kind of lost context of why we're working out. I think CrossFit has oh, yeah. a has a role in that, right? It's in it, and we're at the oh, no, gym. No. I, I'm not putting that in CrossFit. I'm putting that as welcome being human being. Okay, right? like more more is better. Like mm-hmm. oh, this alcohol is great. Boom, alcoholics. You know, this weed is great. Boom, mm-hmm. I have to be high all the time. Right. I mean, we are peoples of excess. And if you don't believe me, let's just go and look at the running community. Let's go look at the swimming community. Sure. Like, more is better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, comma, uh, I will give, say that CrossFit, people who stick with CrossFit, also like to suffer high volume. Right. <laughs> I think that's normative. That's what I would say. Right. So the, so the goal should be, if I'm hearing you right too, is to think more about the, the gym and training, like you said, as a lab, but also like, how can I use this platform to improve my life outside of the gym? Is that kind of the consistency I'm following? Yeah. You know, and one of the things that is, I think we see a real mismatch for the typical person. And, and, and I think when we're talking about this, let's appreciate that we're not, we, you and I, are, it'd be easy to be thinking of taking someone from a nine to a 10 or mm-hmm. nine and a half to 10, right? Sure. For most of us, we're going from either zero to two or most of average people, we're talking about going from four to a six, right? I'm not talking about like just how do we reclaim function, right? Like we have a lot of good collegiate athletes who come in who've already been Olympic lifting. And mm-hmm. like it, they don't take, we have to clean some things up, address some things. But for a lot of other people, I'm like, oh yeah, these are your ankles. You're going to use them today, right? <laughs> you haven't put your head over your arms over your head in a yes. long time. Amen. Except, you know, I appreciate like uh, Mike Boyle, who's one of my uh, mentors. And, and yeah. heroes, Mike's been on the show before. You know, Mike, Mike is the shit. Yeah. He's awesome. And you know, I think, I think it's difficult to appreciate. Let me just say about Mike is that when you view his work, look at the problems that he's trying to solve. And all of a sudden you'll really understand the brilliance there. Mm-hmm. Someone asked him about Olympic lifting for like adults. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, just go to the, go to this, the airport screen where people have to put their arms over their head, mm-hmm. you know, just to get screened. He's like, let me know how that goes for you. So is that a position that needs to be loaded with speed? They don't even have the, the book ends of range of motion. So the key here is all of these exercise tools, exercises are tools to achieve what? Changes in physiology, restoration of position, yep. right? That's what a movement practice is supposed to be doing. Your range of motion of course, for, for those of us under huge loads and high volume and really seeing what's possible with this gorgeous wet machine, you know, our range of motion is like a credit score. It's going to change a little bit. How do I know? Well, you just came through a heavy squat volume and you're going to look like crap. You know, you're going to be super stiff and it's going to take a while. That's different than someone coming in who doesn't know, has zero internal rotation of their shoulders, has zero hip extension right? Quads are super stiff, doesn't know how to breathe. So, you know, it's actually easier there. But what we, to your point, the goal here is that, look, this is a movement practice. Yes. And what I want us to do, and my hope for us is, we can actually go from, you know, if we, if we made a continuum, and I've probably mentioned this before, so if you've heard this before, I apologize. But on the one end, I'm going to put sports-specific training, mm-hmm. which is, I am re- I'm doing a sport 
I'm in the middle of a sport. What does my training look like? There's only one reason we do training in that situation is to get you better at your sport. Sure. Right. How do I know that this is working? Well, you were faster. You beat person to the ball. You right. had, right. My training should only support the sports specific training. Right. But the second, and that doesn't mean I need to mimic, like I don't stand on a ball and juggle and do stupid shit like that. Right. <laughs> but I can take my eyes off. I can take my eyes off some other things, but the minute that's over, I'm back into sports preparation training, mm -hmm. which means I am looking at foot position and pressure. I'm looking at transferability and coordination. I'm looking at energy systems and uh, it smells, it starts to smell a lot like GPP. Yes. Except I'm still biasing towards the sport, right? Mm -hmm. or, or towards those conditions. Mm -hmm. So this is the chance and the place to, instead of just only keeping our eye on minimums, so sports specific training, right? Mm -hmm. You're in the middle of the season. I don't care if you can go ask the grass, you know, and, and be stable to Olympic lift. This is not the time to do that. But you need to be able to front squat to hip crease below the knee because yeah. that's a minimum. There's a big difference there between I can't squat hip crease below the knee or parallel and I should be able to squat ass to grass, right? So then if we move out of that sports preparation phase, we're into what I call GPP, mm -hmm. which is general physical preparedness, yep. which means we are predominantly putting the emphasis on energy systems. We're putting the emphasis on movements. We're not necessarily caring as much about transferability. So turn your feet out when you squat up and down. Why? Because your heart rate got up and mm -hmm. you were able to do more squats. But GPP and sports preparation are definitely cousins and they have an opportunity to be the same thing, but that matters more why we're doing things in sports preparation. Because for me, the reason we have a gym is to train for something, mm. not just to be better because GPP can be analogous to bodybuilding. In fact, what you've seen is functional bodybuilding, which is using GPP to bodybuild. And the only goal of bodybuilding is aesthetics, mm -hmm. right? It's not health. It's about, I want to look good naked. Right. And how do I do that? And well, maybe that this is a better way to do that. And I'm not throwing GPP under the bus because it's the, it's the basis, right? Mm -hmm. Like with my kids, you know, we did wall walks yesterday. I made them ride around the bike, our short, like 800 meter loop twice on their mm -hmm. bikes. And they came in and they had to do some wall walks, right? So mm -hmm. you get into a plank, walk your feet up the wall and back. And dude, there's a very different set of cues. Yeah. I'm taking 11 year olds doing wall walks <laughs> than it is. Right. I'm I'm like, I can imagine. Push your butt, point your toes. Yeah. Can't you in that position, you know? like, there's just a whole different set of things. So at some point, GPP is how we morph in on the other side of GPP, because, you know, oftentimes we're seeing people argue about, you know, this technique, that technique, this skill, this activation. I'm like, well, how many pull-ups can you do? Mm -hmm. And Oh, you can't, you can't do 10 strict pull-ups. Like, I'm like, I'm not sure what we're talking about, right? You can't do 10 strict push-ups. Not even sure what you're talking about. Can you front squat, you know, 60 kilos? Why are we even having this conversation about sure. your secret squirrel technique? Like, you're weak and unstable and you suck at everything. Mm -hmm. So, let's go ahead. I mean, like, you know, I, I, one of my favorite things I just saw recently is I saw some uh, Chinese national lifters rowing an eight, oh, 2K, right? Okay. And their goal was sub eight. Oh, wow. So, a two-minute, yeah. two-minute... 500 is yeah. not great. No, not right? at all. And, and my point is they all did it and they okay. were on the ground dead. I'm sure but they still couldn't. And that's not their wheelhouse at all. Of course, they're Olympic lifters. Right. But my point is 
there's some base competency there. But if you're like, yeah, this rowing technique is great. And I'm like, what's your two minute split? And you can't snatch 300 kilos, right? I'm like, right. Mm, we, we, we got some work to do. But on the other side of GPP is what we call fitnessing. And I think this is where it really gets crazy, where I see freakish amounts of work being done with not care about position, not range of motion, not exercise yep. selection. Yep. We're not looking at energy systems. We're just doing a bunch of work. Yep. So there's a whole lot of things that fit into that. So going and being part of a Zumba class, being part of a soul cycle class, I'm not discounting that. That's mm-hmm. really amazing. And if you've ever gone to a Zumba class, and if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Everyone in there is grinning their ass off, feels good. They mm-hmm. feel like they're part of a tribe. That's what that is. But selling that as exercise, that's not. That's, that's movement and physicality. Great. But let's not pretend that that's what's going to take you to the Olympics or that that's a complete model, right? right. And so suddenly what you're seeing is um, in this continuum where we can really, towards the, the other side where we started, it's an excellent diagnostic tool to understand what physiology is. But as long as we keep selling it as dirty GPP, just do a bunch of work and do it faster, you know, then we're not, what we're doing is I can't really understand what's happening because mm-hmm. it's just, you're eating donuts and a salad, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's salad. It's, it's, it's balanced though. It's, it's, it's balanced, right? <laughs> that's right. That's, and, that, and that's really it. Like I eat like crap and I take all these vitamins. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And so it's cool then. <laughs> uh, that's there was, and I think, I think this is where people get so confused because there was, um, there was a ad on the radio for um, GNC. Do you remember GNC? Of course, we still have it here, yeah. <laughs> I know, but like, they used to be really important to me. And Absolutely. all of a sudden, I discovered that yeah. I needed to eat steaks and yeah. salad and avocado. Dude, I and would I spend like, a lot of time in that store. Like, I would spend too much time in there looking at all the different labels, and I'm like, what? I don't even know if the guy behind the counter knows what he's doing. <laughs> he, I need more L-carnitine. Do you, do you really? Is that the limiting factor here? Because... Uh, you know, I'm, just, I'm not sure. So that's for me sort of says it all. And they had a radio ad uh, up until recently, which was like guys like tired of eating kale. I hate kale. So I don't eat kale. I take this vitamin instead. You know, and that was the whole ad. Like you don't even need just like you're lazy and you hate it. So like you don't need to do squats. I don't do squats. <laughs> do this fake squat thing. And they're like, dude, there's a reason it sucks. Yeah. And right. And it, it, it's hard. And, and I think when we, when, you know, now we're, I'm in GNC talking about which vitamin I should take, and I'm not even talking about body composition. I'm not talking about macronutrients or micronutrients, right? I'm just, and that's sort of the an- analogy for where we went so wrong with exercise mm-hmm. and failing to just take the full promise of exercise as a diagnostic tool. So one of the things that CrossFit has done beautifully was that Greg Glassman created a model that was a constrained behavior model. So in order to do CrossFit, you have to be competent with a barbell and dumbbells and kettlebells. You're going to be upside down doing handstands and pull-ups. So it turns out you are going to be exposed to a lot of overhead positioning. So I can do some of the other GPP models and never touch some of these ranges. So if there was a a pushback on CrossFit, we saw that people weren't prepared for it. Mm. They didn't have they didn't have the tools to play the game. That's not CrossFit's game. CrossFit's game was you needed to uh, you needed to have the tools to show up and play. And by the way, we're going to keep rubbing in your face. And I even yeah. heard Greg say, um, you know, 
oh, people don't like to work on their overhead positioning. So I would just program overhead squats every day, right? Like screw you, you know? So, you know, and, and we, we've done that plenty of times. Like guys aren't, don't want to work on their positions. They just want to go heavier and heavier. I'm like, well, today we're overhead squatting with a dumbbell. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I'm like, oh, and you, you get a two and a half pound dumbbell and it's pink. And, uh, and meanwhile, this woman over here is overhead squatting the 80. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we constrain the environment to get a better outcome, that's what we're doing. And that's what the, that's the heart of good training. And when you say constrain, like for an example, I would think sometimes at our gym, like if, if an overhead squat were to pop up, somebody say, I, I can't do this. I just want to, I'm just going to front squat and I can do more. Is that, is that, am I on the same train there? Are you thinking like, yeah, just, that, that's, that's right. And, and, and the next follow-up conversation there, sorry, we're blowing some leads here in a second. You're good. It'll be over in one second. No problem. Uh, the, the next conversation then is, Hey, can you overhead squat to a depth where you don't compensate? Right. Right. Or, hey, I see that you can't overhead squat, your shoulder hurts, something is, right now that's information again, right? Mm-hmm. So let's get you front squatting so we keep our stimulus, and we're exercising, and we're not just doing functional rehab, right? We're still going to train, but afterwards, we are going to rebuild your position. We are going mm-hmm. to improve your capacity to get there, right? Because that was a diagnostic tool. Why? Because we think everyone should be able to overhead squat. Mm-hmm. So... Let's talk about that, mm-hmm. right? And I, instead of, well, let me just keep jamming the overhead squat into the hole and mm-hmm. hope that it gets better, you know, that, that just doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. That's wishful, magical thinking. Right. And the client in the long run is just not going to want to stick around for that. Like every day I sh- or every, you know, once a week I show up and I just can't do this. Like I'm not going to stick around if I'm a client. If you were to give some advice, let's just say it's the overhead squat and instead they want to do front squats to keep the stimulus and say it's a five by five just to keep it simple. What are some things that maybe you toss in, in is it like in between sets? Hey, I want to work on this. What are some things coaches can do to help their clients in an overhead squat or something? That's, that's, that's a really great, great piece, right? Because what, what we're saying is, first of all, what is what is overhead squatting? Well, I need to have a good, some end range shoulder flexion, yep. right? And I can move my hands out to the rings all the way out to the bar, mm-hmm. right? I mean, to the collars, right? Yep. Yep. So we, you, it's not even overhead anymore. Like, I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> like, it's, it's so far out there that, that you, sh- you should be able to get into those positions. Sorry, we're, we're battling blowers and dogs. <laughs> the second thing then is, well, can you squat with your torso upright? Because that's really what we're doing in this position. It's an upright. So, if you don't have the hip function, if you're sending your hips back and your weights in your heels and you're leaning forward, how can you ever overhead squat in that position, right? That's a back squat and you're trying to jam your overhead squat. So if suddenly we can look at your ankle range of motion. We can look at your hip function in this, right? We can slow down. We can do isometrics and, or tempo work to the range where you begin to compensate. So in between sets, I can hand you a PVC pipe. I can give you a light barbell. We can work on your position. And I could have, should have known what the hell to expect because I warmed you up. And so my warm up is my pre-diagnostic diagnostic, diagnostic, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to do a lot of overhead things. And as soon as I flip you into downward dog, I'm going to be like, oh man, you're going to suck today. Right? (laughs) So if you're surprised or any of your athletes are surprised when they get to the real workout, how hard the position is then you have done a shit job warming everyone up because yeah, warming up isn't about physiology. It's about skill development. It's about play. Right. And as soon as I hand you the medicine ball and we start overhead squatting with the medicine ball as part of our warm up, mm-hmm. right. Or playing or one arm, then all of a sudden I'm like, dude, this is not going to go great for you today. No. In fact, you're not even going to get the stimulus. So, right. so then what do you do? What's next? Can, 
so what we what we can do there though is is appreciate that hey let's get let's get you loaded and because I don't know if overhead squat being a bit being able to overhead squat is going to make me a better athlete. You should be able to overhead squat. Yeah. But we can definitely front squat today and we can definitely goblet squat today and we can definitely back squat today. There's some squat we're going to do today. So ultimately let's appreciate that the stimulus is the hinge. And ultimately what I'm looking at is the degree in which the torso is vertical in that movement. So then I'm trying to have a more upright torso. Great. This is a safety squat bar. That's a back squat way up on your neck. Right. And that, and we can take your shoulders out of it. Because if a guy doesn't have the shoulder range, then mm-hmm. all I'm doing is just building more compensation. Mm-hmm. Comma, again, the follow along there is, hey, we believe in our language that you should be able to put your arms over your head. And if you right. can't do that here, well, it's not an accident, for example, that Mike Bergner starts, Coach Bergner started everything from the high hang. Mm-hmm. And he started from the high hang and the muscle snatch position. So what I would say to that athlete is, well, I want you to do some muscle snatches in between this, right? Let's start building competency in that position. And then I'm like, oh, it's not working. You get a dumbbell muscle snatch. And it's a tempo dumbbell muscle snatch where you're really slow. And that, oh, now we're back into a Cuban curl, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a Cuban arm rotation thing. And I think what we fail to appreciate is there's always a way where I can take the range of motion down and still have a rad stimulus. And so if, you know, if it's an issue of someone doesn't have internal rotation or doesn't know where the end range position is, well, there's a lot of work we can do there. That's why muscle snatch is part of the program for me with a dumbbell for everyone. Because even if you don't have great overhead position, you're at least going to use the range of motion you have. The dumbbell is going to protect you from being in positions where you can't manage the load. Because mm-hmm. as soon as I give you a barbell, man, let the cheating begin. Let, mm-hmm. the, let the human origami shoulder folding commence. As soon as I give you a dumbbell, you're out of position. Dumbbell doesn't go. The dumbbell falls to the ground, which is a way that we can protect people. And in fact, what I would say is interesting is that anytime the physical therapists try to make the case that rounding back is fine. Right. And, and, and let me be clear. It's not fine. Not because you're going to get injured, but because it sucks. Yeah. You can't, your pelvic floor doesn't work and it makes you a shitty athlete, right? You're reinforcing positions that don't transfer. You can't jump really high. Like, what are you doing? So if someone deflects out of their, their relatively midline stable, their mid range, and you see some deflection, we're trying to eliminate that, right? Mm. I, I want them to be really simple, but you know, that's different than, you know, one rep max going for world champion of the world, see a little bit of rounding. No one's going to get hurt. That just doesn't happen that way. So what's interesting is that when we constrain the environment in such a way, and one of those constraints that I believe in is speed, believe it or not, Mm. no one, like rarely do we see rounded backs work when people Olympic lift. It just doesn't work. Mm. I give you kettlebells and I ask you to start swinging. And you just can't really right. do a dog turd, mm-hmm. you know? So when we go slow and grindy, like our category one back squat, front squat, you allow the tissues to adopt positions that yeah. do not handle speed very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what's really interesting is as soon as I give you a barbell or a kettlebell and ask you to move fast, it's weird how everyone starts to go have spines that look very similar. And yeah, that's, that's because the nervous system does not tolerate that silly bullshit at high speed. 
Hmm. Your spine does not. And so it does is it shuts your force production down. And you've ever felt this before, like you're doing um, an L-sit, right? And all of a sudden you fail. It's like someone throws a switch. Mm-hmm. You don't slowly decay out of the L-sit. You just switch because your brain is saying to you, I see you're about to guillotine the spine. You're about <laughs> to shear the spine in half. So I'll just turn off your legs so that when you, when you fatigue, we don't just go ahead and shear the spine. Mm. So we have all these protecting mechanisms built right into the system. But it's, it's easier to short those out when I'm grinding into these shit positions. It's harder to short it out when I get a dumbbell, when I'm moving quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a reason that I think you'll see the athleticism. I mean, is anyone worried about perfect spinal mechanics when we throw medicine balls? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Right? You just yeah. don't throw it very hard because it just turns out the speed piece is that is an interesting component. So, you know, also, you know, if I'm having people come in and suddenly they can't do the movement, we want them to have the expectation from the start that this is exploratory and restorative. And what wow. I say to them all the time is, I don't know your injury history. I don't know what your, your sport history is, right? I don't know what you did yesterday. So this is a snapshot of who you are today. So mm-hmm. every day for us is a diagnostic tool. Yeah. And the coaches, their task is to figure out what aspect of the human system they want to work on today, mm-hmm. right? Easier said than done. Oh, yeah, it's a it's, right. And the master coaches. So, if you look at like Cal Dietz, you know, he'll focus one aspect. He has movement biases. So, he'll say, Yeah, hey, we're going to be in a split position today, right? right? Hip lunge, a lunge shape. But then he'll say, Well, hey, we're going to focus on eccentrics, eccentrics today, isometrics today, or concentric power today. Yep. So, he takes one component of the things and focuses on it. Mm-hmm. We may be focusing on movements more in CrossFit. And then the conjugate system is, well, we're going to go overhead, but I don't want to just go overhead with a barbell. I want to go overhead with a dumbbell, and then I want to go overhead with a kettlebell, and I want to go overhead with pull-ups, and I want to go overhead with handstand walks, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many ways to train overhead that what we think is that exposing people to a lot of different novel tasks forces better coordination. So one of the skills or one of the hidden uh, asterisks of modern sort of CrossFit style training because that's, you know, the original CrossFit has been morphed into mm-hmm. whatever people need it to be Yeah, is, is movement fluency so that you can apply the principles to a novel shaped task idea. And that's where I think when people started doing CrossFit, they got really good at life and sport because they just became more coordinated and, and had more movement fluency. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always about, you know, physiology was more, it was just as about important about coordination. I think. Mm, yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit, but stay under the movement umbrella. And Kelly, I have a lot of masters uh, level athletes and, and kind of that age group oh, that, yeah. follow, that follow this podcast. Um, I noticed cause I had, a, I had Bill Grundler on the show and there's a really big um, kind of um, feedback after having him on talking about uh, aging and things like that. So I, I'm really curious to pick your brain here about, um, aging athletes, people getting older, and um, we can take this however we want, but I'm very curious first to know what um, movements would you consider, movements, movement patterns, would you say are the most important for athletes as they age into 40s, 50s, 60s? What are some things that you think are at the top of the list? So let me start by saying I'm 47, right? And uh, my body does things differently than it did before. And my ability to, to re- my ability to manage session cost, which is basically the cost of a training session, is not as great. 
as it was 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, we're doing a gigantic uh, six hour mountain bike ride race tour thing this weekend on Saturday to raise money for a friend it's called the Giddy Up Challenge. Awesome. And you basically summit one hill over and over again on your bike. We'll be on our bike and we're going to climb, do about 6,000 feet of climbing that day, which is a reasonable amount of climbing. Yeah. Right? It's not, it's like four or five hours of climbing. It's not, yeah. it's not crazy. So my, my pro cyclist friends are going to try to do Everest and they're going to go 30,000 feet of climbing, which is of course insane. Yeah. But as we taper towards that Saturday today, before this, this call, Juliet and I did our, we have an hour climb that's sort of our base base. How are we feeling? And what I felt like was my times were good, but I was suffering. It cost me a lot to get to those decent times, right? Where our time says. So I cut it at 40 minutes of climbing. So basically a steady state, 40 minute effort. And then Juliet's like, I feel good. So I'm going to go a little more. And I was like, great, you should go. Mm -hmm. So one is appreciating that the nature of the moving target of being a little bit older means that your stress, your sleep, your lifestyle, your kids, all their travel, all of those things, and your volume history, a history of handling volume, and I'll even say your genetics at this point, all start to matter a lot more. So if you want the the white hot you know, output, you really can't drink. You've got to give that up. You're going to have to sleep eight to nine hours, and that's sleep of eight hours. That means you may be in bed for nine and a half hours to get eight hours of good sleep. Mm-hmm. I no longer assume for my 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 master's athletes that they're doing what they say they're doing. So they're like, I'm like, tell me about your sleep. And they're like, yeah, I sleep fine. I'm like, good. You're going to have to show me. Otherwise it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Right. So I make them get a whoop band and make them track it. And I make them show me just like anything else. I'm like, Oh really? This is really your times. Good. Let me see what you did. What right next to that. Show it to me. Take, take some pictures of your single day food consumption. So I can actually understand what what were inputs and outputs because so much of the, the processes are hidden from us. So, what I would say is, you know, if we're going to do that red, red hot, well, let me see what your movement prep looks like. How are you taking care of your tissues afterwards? And what you asked me is, hey, what are, the, what are the fundamental movements that are important? But inherent there is a, is a different question, which, which movements do I think aren't important? Mm-hmm. Because what you asked me is, what part of my physiology doesn't matter? Mm-hmm. Does it matter if I can't squat all the way to the ground? Does it matter mm-hmm. if I can't do a Turkish getup? Does it matter right. if I can't put my arms over my head? So at one point, what it, which, which one do you not care about, right? Mm-hmm. So I, what I would say is it's all important, but what may be different important is how you train those positions and shapes. So for me, as I've gotten older, my training week isn't a week long. It's not seven days long. It's probably eight or nine days long, mm. which is a really, I don't think I've heard anyone talk about this, but that's how long my training week is. When I look at the amount of work I want to get done in a week block and I'm putting that week block because that's what people wrap their heads around the training week, right? Mm -hmm. My week is nine days long (laughs) and it takes me that many days to get through the monostructural aerobic base training that I'm doing, the strength training to recover from it. Right. So, you know, yesterday morning as a, as a snapshot, right. I've got this big thing coming up. We had two big rides this weekend. Monday was lots of teaching and mobility and all that stuff. And on Tuesday morning, I got up and did Jason Kalipa's uh, classic EMOM, which is 15 calories on the rower, 10 burpees. Mm-hmm. So just alternating minutes for 20 minutes. It's very reasonable. Um, and then I did some strict pull-ups with 
200-pound sandbag isometric breathing holes in between the pull-ups. That, and then I played around with my slack line and, and moved my weck rope. And so I had a moving practice in there, but the volume was really reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. That was a reasonable amount of volume. So the idea here is I want my master's athletes to be a lot more consistent than heroic. So it's much better for us to whack off some of the volume, chop some of that off, and I'd rather you train a few more days in that, for me, the eight or nine day block than going to the well, because that going to the well means that, man, it's really hard to recover. And yeah. I know genetically I have less good recovery scores than my, my neighbors. I just mm-hmm. don't recover as fast. It's not weird that I've become an expert in recovery and breathing gun regulation because mm-hmm. I suck at it so much. <laughs> so if I don't get the good sleep, if I don't eat right, if I'm not doing my thing, then I I just can't handle the same volumes as Rich Froning. You know, I just can't. Like that guy can swallow down. Now, Frazier, Matia, all of the mass, those kids who are going are just mutants in terms of their ability to manage that adaptation. I can't. I have a sauna. I have an ice bath. I, have a, you know, I, do, all the, I do all the stuff. So the, the question is, one is, well, how many days in your work week and what are you getting done? Mm-hmm. Two is, you know, are you really warming up and cooling down? Are you doing the adaptation on either side? Or are you lying and tr- treating yourself like you did when you were a 20-year-old, which is you roll in, you smash yourself, and you go sit. I'm like, dude, you're, I know what's going to happen to you. We've run this experiment. You're going to yeah. suck. Yeah. Right? And then it's just an adaptation error. It's not, nothing's wrong. You just didn't manage the stimulus, Right. Um, it's the same thing of like doing a bunch of hard work and then not eating. I'd be like, well, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I'd say is, Hey, on some of these things, you probably need to pull some of the speed out, right? Like uh, what I find is, um, you know, if people have issues. Well, let's just slow it down a little bit. Yeah. Like you don't yeah. need to jerk, mm-hmm. but you need to push strict press, mm-hmm. right? I don't care if you can do a hundred kipping pull-ups unless that's the sport you're engaged in, but that's sure. a different conversation. But I sure give a shit that your pull-up volume is high, mm. that we want to keep an eye on that pull-up, vo- mm-hmm. high pull-up volume, right? Um, you know, so we can, you know, maybe full cleans aren't going to be great for you, but front squatting is going to be great for you, right. Right? right? And we can get all the springiness we want from swinging a 100-pound kettlebell instead. Sure. Yeah. Right. And maybe we can muscle clean to that position. We don't even need to power clean to that position. Stimulus met. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's really interesting is then we're keeping it on positions. Some things matter less. And then also once you like, I, this is going to sound super arrogant. I don't mean to, but I am strong enough. Right. I can walk out there cold, dead to 500. Like I know I'm, that is not my limiting factor. What mm. my limiting factor is maintaining my positions, keeping my tendons and ligaments healthy. Got right. It. Yeah. I do yeah. a, I do a workout I call shoulder health. And what I do is I do arm only assault bike, right? No legs, just mm. arms. I slam the shit out of a mace onto a ball. I do heavy ball slams. I do strict pull-ups on really weird implements. Right. And then I muscle snatch <laughs> with a dumbbell. Yeah. And, and I just do a couplet of that until I'm tired or bored and I don't race. I just keep going and going and going. And I have touched so many shoulder shapes and positions in that, right. that you go through 25 minutes of my shoulder health workout. You're like, that workout was insane. I was like, yeah, that's shoulder health. And now we're going to do some bicep health, right? We're going to do some curls. Yeah. So, you know, the key here is I think, um, you know, as people uh, end up with more injuries, um, a lifetime of microtrauma or abuse or ski accidents or 
then let's keep people training and we may lose some of the need to full snatch, mm -hmm. but we never lose the need to dumbbell muscle snatch, right? Mm -hmm. And what you see is stimulus is still there mm -hmm. and I'll take your squat and I'll make you hug a 200 pound sandbag and, and back air front squat that. That's different. And so, but the stimuluses are still going to be the same, right? Are you going to win the CrossFit Games with my model? No, no. but uh, that's not the game, right? That's not what my goal is. And that looks different than my, you know, than my CrossFit Masters athletes who want to go to the games. They've got to study and play the game and, and the amount of time they do to get ready to do that is immense. For the rest of us, man, the, like you, I am more skilled than I've ever been. I'm stronger than I've ever been but my tolerance for silly bullshit is lower mm -hmm. because I'm 47 and I have, you know, I have no wrist extensions. Mm -hmm. I destroyed my wrist. I have a torn pack. I put my femur through my tibia. These are all non gym accidents that happen for me going hundred miles an hour and having bad crashes. Right. So, you know, the real question is, you know, why are we training in the first place? Is, again, is it recursive mastery, right? Do you feel bad about yourself because your pull-ups went down? you know, a few numbers right. or are we, how are we measuring our fitness? And mm. if it's just body composition, well, you don't even need to train. You just need no. to eat differently. Yeah. Right? Man. Yeah. That's so profound. Uh, there's so many gold nuggets in there. I, I want to, uh, I know we're getting close to time here, but something you said with my, uh, my fr uh, friends, uh, the mind muscle project, you're talking about, um, and I'm so fascinated by this, by just positioning and how the United States in general is just, we're just so far off where we should be in regards to like the example you gave was like at your next get together with your family, like go ahead to have, have everybody sit on the ground for a while. And don't even use the couch and watch how many people like get uncomfortable and they're like, ah, oh, I can't really do this. And, and, and how far we've kind of, we've kind of gone away from, you know, centuries ago, everybody was on the ground. That was just kind of a, that, that, that's the normal then. Talk to me a little bit about positioning, sitting and kind of how we've gotten away from it. Maybe how we can kind of go back to what we're meant to be in the position we're meant to be in. I think that the key here is to look at what's going on with the environment. So do we have an environment organism mismatch? And yes, we do, right? That we're just, we're supposed to walk eight to 10,000 steps a day. That was just the background. That's just the, the decongestion and loading just, to, you know, the same way, like, yeah, you don't need to sleep, but man, we know that you need to sleep, yeah. right? You don't need to walk or move, but you need to walk and move. So what we're seeing is, we've made it really easy not to do those things. So that exercise is now a, is has to be a choice instead of a matter of survival. I'm down with this life. Sure. Better living through chemistry. I mean, and you know, my mid century modern couch, yeah. but, but one of the things that was built into that older, older model of where we were for two and a half million years was we didn't have to, you know, the body is self tuning. And so if you sit on the ground, how much more hip range of motion are you going to need for the day if you're just constantly noodling on these end range positions? Right. So a little bit of what's happening is that we have this toxic environment where people aren't sleeping, they're not sleeping in dark places, they don't eat whole foods, they have access to shitty calories, right? They don't move enough. They don't expose themselves to some of the loading, just getting them down off the ground. And the number one reason you end up in a nursing home is you can't get up off the ground. Like, what? Mm -hmm. I, well, that's not me. I do Turkish get-ups and get up and down off the ground. So you know, if I ask people to squat all the way to the ground, people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, what the fuck are we yeah, talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. you're, arguing, you're arguing about some esoteric shoulder cueing and the Chinese lifters versus Tarapati. <laughs> and like, meanwhile, 
you can't squat all the way to the ground and take a poop. Like, I'm still glad that you put on your belt, your knee sleeves, your Olympic <laughs> lifting shoes, and you still don't have range of motion into those good positions, right? Even with all that shit. But, but definitely argue, debate me on the internet about you know something that doesn't matter. So what we need to do is, and I think we're clever enough to reconfigure the environment a little more. And to that extent, what we, a lot of times what we're seeing is we're putting out fires that are of our own making. And we're creating people who are just products of the environment. So we don't ever blame anyone. No one ever said being barefoot is important and having strong feet is important. And how would you know to value it? Like you're, you are a 100% a product of your environment. But when something hurts or you don't have access to your physiology, it's not just your brain telling you it's just, it's not just a chronic pain thing and you need a pain lecture. Dude, your fucking feet are weak and flat and you collapse your arch and you're not springy. And what did you think was going to happen? You know, and so when you had that information now, ooh, agency is yours. Mm-hmm. And I totally empower you to disregard all of that. You, you can, you're a human being. If, look, if you, if you do not want to wear a mask, if you do not, if you want to hang out with, you know, whatever it is you want to do, if you don't want to vaccinate yourself, like that is your right to not do those things. And I'm going to put that in the same mm-hmm. continuum as, dude, you can eat little chocolate donuts and smoke. It is free society, comma it's not best practice and you know, it, you will die early and you will not have a good life because we're going to be 110 years old, whether we like it or not. We are, that's what the, our, you know, I, I have three women in my life right now who are over a hundred, three women in my life, my, wow. in my family who are over mm-hmm. hundred. So, I mean, holy shit, I have these examples of people. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what does the next 30 or 40 years look like for you? What does the next 50 years want to look like? Cause I don't want a small, tiny, I want to be able to, shred and play and you know and and i think when we start viewing those terms then we just need to start making little changes so answer your text sitting on the ground watch tv sitting on the ground you know eat some more vegetables and fruits um you know see if you can't sleep more and and tomorrow if you didn't play a perfect game today you can play a better game tomorrow Mm. i think that's really the key we we have this incredible tolerance to deal with all this bullshit but then we also have agency to correct it Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have to just accept that, you know, the low level. And, and there are times in your life per what we talked about relative to, you know, age, you can get away with a lot more bullshit when right. you're younger. Yep. But, and that's okay. So you enjoy that. You know, totally. That's, that is your right and privilege and total honor to do that. But at some point you're going to see that that is not best practice. Or if you want to win a gold medal, that is also not best practice. Awesome. I got one last question that I've been asking all my guests and then we'll be done here. We'll wrap it up. So Kelly, my question is, um, I've kind of changed it now with uh, the coronavirus season that we're in. So um, my question for you that as we end the, end the podcast here is what is one thing that you have learned during this Corona season that is going to make you a better human being or coach or person when it's all over? Whew. Uh um, appreciating that there's no substitution for the things that make us human. Um, being in a tribe, touch, hugging people, you know, understanding and reading people, you know, through their body language. I just, you know, we've always put a premium on that, but that has, uh, is even stronger now. Um, you know, and, you know, also. Yeah, you know, you know what said? Thanks everybody.
if there was a time to uh, really talk about this, it's that um, we got to pause on all the things that we maybe weren't working well for us, right? And let's recognize that now it is up to us. Mm. So, you know, if we had um, if we had a ton of people who lost their jobs, didn't have health insurance, didn't have savings, that seems like, and they're working really hard and not being irresponsible, that seems like an inefficient system, right? <clears throat> so we're going to have to be smart enough and brave enough to reimagine entire fields. And what does that look like? And what I would say is that this is likely all a dress rehearsal because this is a function of globalism, not globalization, that having, you know, these fluid supply chains and, you know, thinking differently about our meat, thinking differently about, you know, we're going to have to reimagine the thing. And also, um, I'll just point out that climate change is, is a thing. And if you think that this is bad, wait till, you know, Texas and Arizona are 120 degrees and we have mass migration and Miami's flooded and San Francisco has an earthquake and a fire. And I mean, we're going to have to become a lot more adept at being ready to handle these things. Um, we're going to have to, you know, what we saw in our own community was that, um, everyone, the kids had to figure out how to entertain themselves and exercise and play. Mm. And so we had to shift. And again, I recognize that this is not an existential conversation about how am I going to pay my rent? Right. How am I going to feed my family? That's a different conversation. Um, but you know, who's responsible for eat, sleep, exercise, right? How do we reimagine that? Should that be solely on my, on my employer or is it my family's responsibility? You know, do my kids know how to cook? So I think, you know, hopefully, you know, it just doesn't snap back and we're not in some Instagram booty race chasing some CBD nail polish <laughs> and who's got the next iPhone 17. Like that's, I hope we don't have to go back to that. I hope a bunch of that stuff dies off and we kind of recognize what is more important and that we need to be a lot more self-sufficient. Amen. Awesome. What a great place to end it. Kelly, uh, for the listeners, uh, we have a page set up for um, the Ready State for, so they can get a, I think it's a free one or two week trial through your through your website. Is there anything yeah. else that what you we, want to talk about? No, just that, you know, one of the things that when people hear this for the first time, um, you know, they are sometimes they're, they're overwhelmed about, well, I, I really want this, but I don't know where to begin. So one of the things that Juliet and I did was we actually created a two week on ramp program through the site sort of is like, hey, we recognize that not everyone needs to be doing our stuff. I mean, we believe everyone needs to be doing our stuff. But the main thing is, man, we can get you up to going and a lot more independent if you just take our two-week on-ramp program. It's free. There's no commitment. But you will learn a lot about how to take care of yourself, the basics of, of self-care and mobilization. So if you go to the readystate.com slash mifit slash uh, you will see uh, that we have a landing page for you where you can, you know, help figure out and begin this greater conversation. And, and we, you know, Juliet and I have strong feelings about what you should be doing, but I'll also say that we're agnostic about what you want to do. So, mm. you know, whatever your training looks like, that's fine. We can, you know, let's, let's, let's take tissue health in position and put that as part of that conversation. 
Cool. Kelly, it was an absolute honor to have you on today, man. It's so cool to, to just talk face-to-face. You're somebody that, like I said, I've looked up to for almost a decade. So thank you for taking the time. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to take uh, Kelly on the Ready State Take Myself. Give us some feedback and, and share it with a friend who could use the good word today. So uh, we'll see you next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast.